and you're listening to Pharmaceutical Calculations, a podcast about tips, tricks, and strategies for solving pharmaceutical calculations. This episode was originally broadcast on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash pharmaceutical calculations easy. In this video, you're going to take a look at some basic math concepts for pharmaceutical calculations. So let's get right to it. So a really excellent resource to use as you master the concepts of ratio, proportions, and dimension analysis for pharmaceutical calculations is to use the book Pharmaceutical Calculations by Ansel and Stockton. So the content we are going to take a look at is actually found in chapter one of that book. And I actually narrow it down to pages one to nine. If you go through those pages, you'll be able to do additional practice and you'll be very good at the ratio proportion dimension analysis. Now for this particular video, we have two main learning objectives. The first one is to be able to apply the method of ratio and proportion in problem solving. And the second one, likewise, is to apply the method of dimensional analysis in problem solving. So in order to achieve these two objectives, you're going to do a high level review of what ratio and proportion is and what dimension analysis also is. And then we're going to look at some key principles associated with ratio and proportion and dimension analysis. And then we are going to do some targeted, highly strategic examples to know how to apply all those principles. Now, before we get to the concepts of ratio, proportion, and dimensional analysis, I just wanted to provide some context as to what pharmaceutical calculations actually is and why it's important to do it correctly. Now, when you talk about pharmaceutical calculations, it's the area of study that applies the basic principles of mathematics to the preparation and efficacious use of pharmaceutical preparations. So now that we know what pharmaceutical calculations actually is, why is it important for you to master it? Now, as a pharmacist, you're going to be performing basic calculations sometimes on a daily basis. For example, you may need to calculate doses. You may need to determine the number of dosage units required to fill prescriptions accurately. You may also need to determine the quantities of pharmaceutical ingredients required to compound formulas and so on. So even from those three examples, you will notice that if you performed pharmaceutical calculations incorrectly, the consequence to the patient could be detrimental. And I'm going to share with you an article that was published in 2020 in the Pharmacy Times entitled Bad Math, The Impact of Medication Dosage Miscalculations. Now, I just want to draw your attention to a few important points. In the United States alone, it has been determined that 7,000 to 9,000 people die as a result of medication error. And this costs more than 40 billion in associated health costs. They also determined that 1.5 million preventable medication errors harm patients in the United States each year. So now even though technology has been used to detect many of those medication errors, the human error component, which is the one associated with pharmaceutical calculations, continues to be a huge problem. And in fact, medication dosage calculations actually are really common and often they go unnoticed. For example, you could have prescriptions that are filled incorrectly simply by missing one crucial piece of information like the patient's weight or height, or even the proportion calculation is applied incorrectly. So now that we know what pharmaceutical calculations is and why it's important to do those computations accurately, let's dive right into ratio and proportions. So what is a ratio? Now a ratio is the relative amount of two quantities. Another way to think about ratio is the relationship between two values. So in essence, a ratio provides a comparison between two like quantities and may be expressed as either a fraction, a percentage, and a decimal. Now let's explore this further. If a comparison is made between 4 and 10, then the ratio may be expressed as 4 is to 10, 4 per 10, 
40% or 0.4. Now, every ratio has what is known as a value, and the value is obtained when you divide the quotient of the first term by the quotient of the second term. So, in this example, you have 4 is to 10. If you divided 4 by 10, then you get a value 0.4. So, 0.4 is the value of this ratio. Now, this is an important point to have stenciled on your mind because if you took the ratio 4 is to 10 and you multiplied the 4 and the 10 by 2, you end up with 8 is to 20. Now, if you also took 4 is to 10 and divided the 4 and the 10 by 2, you end up with 2 is to 5. Now, when you take 4 is to 10, the value is 4 divided by 10, which gives 0.4. If you also took the 8 is to 20 and divided the 8 by the 20, you're going to end up with 0.4. And if you divided 2 by 5, you end up with 0.4. So for all of those ratios, you end up with the same value. Anytime you have ratios that have the same value, they are called equivalent ratios. And this whole notion of equivalent ratios is ultra important because that is what serves as the basis for problem solving using the ratio and proportion method. Now let's talk about proportion. When you think about proportion, it's actually the practical application of ratios. And it's one of the most popular problem solving methods that is used in solving pharmaceutical calculations. A proportion represents equality between two ratios. Now, there are three standard forms in which you could express a proportion. The first one is A is to B as C is to D. So you have A, a colon, B, an equal to sign, C, a colon, and D. Now, the next way it can be expressed is you have A is to B, and then instead of having an equal to sign, you have two colons, then the C is to D. And the third form, which actually is a very common form, is when you have A over B equals C over D. So you have ratios on both sides of an equal to sign. Now, it's important to stress out here that the A and the D in this example are known as extremes because these are the outermost numbers. And then the B and the C are known as means because they are the middle numbers. Now, what makes proportions really powerful in solving calculations is that if you take the product of the extremes, it must be equal to the product of the means. And with this understanding, if you have three of the terms provided and you needed to find the fourth term, then you could set up a series of equations to find it. Now, typically, if you are looking for an extreme, then that extreme is going to be equal to the product of the means divided by the other extreme. So in this example, if you're looking for A, A is going to be equal to B times C, which are the means, divided by D, which is the outstanding extreme. So now that we've done a quick review of what ratio and proportion actually is and some key principles associated with them, let's proceed by applying this understanding on three strategic questions. This question says, if an insulin injection contains 100 units of insulin in each milliliter, how many milliliters should be injected to receive 40 units of insulin? So we can use ratio and proportions to really solve this question elegantly. And just to recall, the proportion is typically written as A over B equals C over D, where A and D are the extremes because they are the outer members, and then B and C are known as means because they are the middle members. Now, whenever you set up a proportion, it doesn't really matter what goes into the numerator or the denominator. But what is really important is that on both sides of the equal to sign, you should have the same units in the numerator and the same units in the denominator. 
So let's proceed with the solution. So here we have 100 units of insulin in one milliliter or each milliliter. And we want to determine the volume that contains 40 units. So the first way you could set this up is to actually have the milliliters in the numerator, which would imply that for each milliliter, it contains 100 units. So this should be equal to some volume in milliliters divided by 40 units, which is what you want to give the patient. So just to emphasize, the way we set up this proportion, you have the milliliter term in the numerator on both sides of the equation and the unit term in the denominator on both sides of the equation. What you cannot have happen is have milliliters in the numerator on the left-hand side and the units in the numerator on the right-hand side. Those two are not going to be equal and hence you will not have a proportion. So now the way this is set up, your one milliliter is going to be an extreme, your 40 units is going to be an extreme, your 100 units is going to be what is known as a mean and the x that you're looking for is also going to be a mean. And so what you can do is you can actually solve for x and the way you get x is to multiply these two extreme values and divide it by the one mean value that is left. So x is going to be equal to 1 milliliter times 40 units divided by 100 units. So here the units will cancel out and so that would imply that x is going to be equal to 0.4 milliliters. So just for thoroughness, let's take a look at what the proportion would look like if you had the unit term in the numerator instead of the denominator. And so what that would look like then is you have 100 units, which is contained in 1 milliliter, and that should be equal to 40 units divided by some quantity in milliliters. So now in this instance, you have 100 units as one of the extremes, the x value here as one of the extremes, and then your 1 milliliter and 40 units are your means. Now what is really important once again is that on the left hand side in the numerator you have units and on the right hand side of the equal to sign in the numerator you also have units. And then in the denominator on the left hand side of the equal to sign you have milliliters and then in the denominator on the right hand side of the equal to sign you have milliliters as well. And so we can go ahead and solve for x and in this instance you're going to multiply all of the means which will be 1 milliliter times 40 units you're going to divide this by the extreme value there which is 100 units now the units cancel out and you'll notice that your answer is going to be exactly the same so x is going to be equal to 0.4 milliliters so the important point to have stenciled on your mind is that it really doesn't matter how you set up the proportion so long as the units in the numerator on the left hand side of the equal to sign is the same as the units in the numerator on the right hand side of the equal to sign it also applies to the denominator, which means that the units in the denominator on the left-hand side of the equal to sign should be the same as the units in the denominator on the right-hand side of the equal to sign. Now, this question says the dosage of the drug thiabendazole, also known as mintazole, is determined in direct proportion to a patient's weight. If the dose of the drug for a patient weighing 150 pounds is 1.5 grams, what would be the dose for a patient weighing 110 pounds? So now the way the question is framed, it is perfect to use ratio and proportion as an elegant way to solve the question. But let's do a deep analysis of the question before we proceed with setting up the proportion. Now the way the question is framed, it tells you that the dose that the patient receives is actually directly proportional to the patient's weight. 
So if a patient is weighing 150 pounds, then this patient needs 1.5 grams. So the question is asking what's going to be the dose for a patient who is this time 110 pounds. So you're essentially making use of the information 150 pounds and 1.5 grams to determine the dose that the patient will get if they have a different weight. In this instance, 110 pounds. So we're going to set up the proportion as follows. We're going to make use of the 150 pounds and the 1.5 grams and make the statement that 1.5 grams of thiabendazole is needed for a patient who weighs 150 pounds. So the next step then is to set this ratio equal to some quantity in grams divided by 110 pounds. Now anytime you are setting up a proportion, a useful tip is to ensure that you have the same units in the numerator on the left hand side of the equal to sign and on the right hand side of the equal to sign. So here we have grams in the numerator on the left hand side and grams in the numerator on the right hand side. The same thing applies to the denominator. Now in the left hand side of the equal to sign in the denominator you have units of pounds and on the right hand side of the equal to sign in the denominator you have units of pounds. So it's only when this criteria is met that you actually have a proportion. So now that we have a proportion, we can go ahead and solve for x. x is going to be equal to the product of the extremes divided by the other mean value that is left. What that means is x is going to be equal to 1.5 grams times 110 pounds divided by 150 pounds. Pounds cancel out and this would imply that x is going to be equal to 1.1 grams. This question says, a compounding pharmacist has just finished preparing 250 milliliters of a solution containing 6 milligrams of a drug in every 100 milliliter when he learns that the physician wants a solution containing 8 milligrams of drug in 100 milliliters of solution. Assuming there will be no increase in the final volume of the solution, how many additional milligrams of drug should be added to the first solution he prepared? So here, the pharmacist needs to prepare 250 milliliters of a solution that contains a specified amount of drug. Now, the first time he prepared it, he ended up with 6 milligrams of drug in every 100 milliliters. But the physician wants to have a solution that has 8 milligrams of drug in every 100 milliliter. But notice, the patient still needs to receive at the end of the day 250 milliliter solution. So this question can elegantly be solved using proportion. The first time is to determine the amount of drug that is present in the 250 milliliter solution when you have the 6 milligrams in every 100 ml. And then you repeat the process for determining the amount of drug that actually should be present in 250 milliliter solution when the solution should contain 8 milligrams in every 100 ml. And then we're going to find the difference. So we're actually going to start off with the initial scenario where you have 6 milligrams of drug in every 100 milliliter. And what that would look like then is you have 6 milligrams of drug in every 100 milliliters solution. But notice you need to make 250 milliliters of solution. So we set this equal to some quantity in milligrams divided by the 250 milliliters. We can go ahead and solve for the unknown. You multiply the extremes, divide by the mean. And that would imply that you have 6 milligrams times 250 milliliters and you divide that by the 100 milliliters the milliliters is going to cancel out and so that would imply that your x is going to be equal to 15 milligrams now you're going to do the same thing using the 8 milligrams and the 100 milligrams so what that would look like then is you have 8 milligrams of drug in 100 milliliters 
that should be equal to some quantity in milligrams divided by 250 milliliters go ahead and solve for the unknown here so y is going to be equal to the product of the extremes which is going to be 8 milligrams times 250 milliliters divided by the 100 milliliters the milliliters cancels out and that would imply that the y or your unknown is going to be equal to 20 milligrams but we don't stop here so to actually answer the question which is being asked which is how many additional milligrams of drug what we need is the difference so that would imply that the additional milligrams is going to be equal to the 20 milligrams minus the 15 milligrams and that is going to be equal to 5 milligrams so we just applied the ratio and proportion method to solve three strategically selected examples and by doing this essentially you should have a good handle on how to solve any kind of problem using ratio and proportion so now let's explore what dimensional analysis is and how you can also use that concept in problem solving. So dimensional analysis, also known as the unit factor method, is a very reliable method for problem solving in pharmaceutical calculations. And now this actually is my preferred method when it comes to solving pharmaceutical calculations and there are two reasons for that. The first one being it actually consolidates several arithmetic steps into one single equation and then the second reason being the way the method works is it tracks units where you cancel units in a specified manner and if you follow this process you always get the correct answer guaranteed. So dimensional analysis actually involves understanding ratios of the data and the equivalence between the units in a way that like units will cancel out and only the desired terms are left. And so in principle, this is what it looks like. You have the desired quantity that you're looking for on the left-hand side or the equal to sign. And then everything else is set up with your given quantity, your conversion factor for the given quantity, your conversion factor for the desired quantity, and the conversion factor for the given quantity and the conversion factor for the desired quantity forms what is known as the unit part, hence the name unit factor method. And then as the units cancel out, you're essentially going to multiply all the terms in the numerator, divide by all the terms in the denominator, and that will give you the quantity and you need that you need. Now it's important to stress that you don't actually need to set it up using the horizontal and vertical lines. You can simply use the multiplication throughout your setup and I'll illustrate that when we actually solve some practice problems. But now let's go ahead and look at the steps that you need to be aware of and follow when using dimensional analysis. So the first step really is to identify the units that you're looking for and then you put that on the left hand side of the equal to sign. The next step then is on the right hand side of the equal to sign you first put down the quantity you've been given and typically it's really strategic to put it in such a way that the units that you're looking for is actually in the numerator and then you're going to multiply the given quantity by the conversion factor for the given quantity multiply all of that by the conversion factor for the desired quantity then you're going to make sure that you are tracking the units so the units cancel out numerator to denominator that's the only way it cancels out you're going to multiply all the terms the numerator and divide it by all the terms the denominator and that will give you the wanted quantity and the wanted unit so now let's proceed to apply these steps to some practice problems this question says if the adult dose of a solution is 0.2 milliliters per kilogram of body weight to be administered once daily how many teaspoonfuls should be administered to a patient weighing 220 pounds and you have your conversion factor 1 kilogram equals 2.2 pounds and 1 teaspoonful equals 5 milliliters 
So from the question, we are looking for the number of teaspoonfuls. So that will be our wanted unit. So we have teaspoon and this is going to be equal to the given quantity, which in this instance is going to be the 0.2 milliliters per kilogram. So we have 0.2 milliliters per kilogram. Going to multiply this by the patient's weight, which is 220 pounds. So multiply by 220 pounds. Now, the way you track your units is you're going to cancel the units numerator to denominator. So what that means is you're going to look at the units in the numerator. You have pounds and then kilograms. In this instance, the pounds and kilograms are in different dimensions or different units. So we can cancel straight away. What we need to do now is actually convert the pounds to kilograms or the kilograms to pounds. So we're going to convert the given quantity using the conversion factor for that, which is one kilogram equals 2.2 pounds. So we're going to multiply this by 2.2 pounds equals one kilogram. The kilograms will cancel out. So you have a kilogram in the denominator canceling out a kilogram in the numerator. Then you're going to cancel out the pounds because you have pounds in the numerator and pounds in the denominator right here. So now we are tracking units and we are in units of milliliters. But notice the question is asking for teaspoonful. So at this point, we are going to multiply this by the conversion factor for the desired quantity. And that would imply that you have five milliliters, which is the same as one teaspoonful. So now this milliliter term can cancel out this milliliter term in the numerator there. So now your units are teaspoonful. So the next step, which you could actually do in one straight line, but I like to do in two different sections just for clarity, is your number of teaspoonful is going to be equal to the product of all the terms in the numerator divided by the product of all the terms in the denominator. So what that means is you're going to multiply the 0.2 times 220 times 1 times 1 teaspoonful divided by 2.2 times 5. And now this is going to be equal to four teaspoonfuls. This question says a patient is to receive two milligrams of drug from an injection label to contain 150 microgram per milliliter. Calculate the milliliters of injection to administer. So from the question, the goal is to calculate the milliliters of injection. So that's our wanted unit. So some volume in milliliters. Now that's going to be equal to our given quantity. Here, our given quantity is the 150 microgram per milliliter. Now, since we're looking for the volume in milliliters, you want to be strategic in how you actually orient the 150 milligrams per milliliter. So what we can actually do is we're going to keep the one milliliter in the numerator and divide that by the 150 micrograms. So this is very strategic in the sense that when the units cancel out, you're going to be left with the milliliter in the numerator, which is the units you're looking for. So now we can multiply this by the two milligrams and ideally the units in the numerator needs to cancel the units in the denominator. But as we notice the microgram and the milligrams are in different dimensions. So we got to convert the milligrams to micrograms or the micrograms to milligrams. But let's go ahead and convert the milligrams to micrograms and we want to use the conversion factor that one milligram is a thousand microgram. So at this point the microgram can cancel out and the milligrams can cancel out. And we can multiply all the terms in the numerator and divide it by all the terms in the denominator. And that would imply that you have one milliliter times two times a thousand divided by 150 times one. And now that's going to be equal to 13.3 milliliters. This question says the dose of a drug is 0.05 milligrams for each kilogram of a patient's weight. The drug is available as an oral liquid containing 50 micrograms per 0.1 milliliter. 
calculate the dose of the oral liquid in milliliters for a patient who weighs 132 pounds. So here the objective is to calculate the volume in milliliters and so our wanted units is some quantity in milliliters. Now we're going to set this equal to the given quantity. So here the given quantity is going to be the 50 micrograms per 0.1 milliliter. And since we want to end up with units of milliliter, we want the milliliter term to be in the numerator. So we're going to set it up as follows. You're going to have 0.1 milliliters divided by 50 microgram. And we need to multiply this by the conversion factor. And so the conversion factor here actually is a 0.05 milligrams per kilogram or in each kilogram. So we're going to multiply this by 0.05 milligrams per kilogram or in one kilogram. But notice that the milligrams and the micrograms are in different units so they can't cancel out. So we're going to convert the milligrams to micrograms using the conversion factor. The one milligram is a thousand micrograms. So at this point, the micrograms can cancel out and the milligrams can cancel out. And as you track your units, you're now in milliliters per kilogram. But notice that per the question, you only need to be in milliliters. And so we need to multiply all of this by something. And that something is going to be the patient's weight, which is 132 pounds. So we multiply this by 132 pounds. But then the kilograms and the pounds are in different dimensions, so they cannot cancel out. And so we go ahead and convert pounds to kilograms. So we're going to use a conversion factor that 2.2 pounds is 1 kilogram. And so the kilograms can now cancel out and the pounds can now cancel out. And now we are only in units of milliliters, which satisfies the question. But the next thing is we need to multiply all the terms in the numerator and divide it by all the terms in the denominator. And that would imply that you have 0.1 milliliters times 0.05 times 1000 times 132 times 1 divided by 50 times 1 times 1 times 2.2. And now this is going to be equal to 6 milliliters. So as you may notice from this question, the powerful thing about dimensional analysis is even if you didn't understand the question completely, but you really know how to track your units and orient your units in the dimensional analysis equation, you would always get your answer correct. Because you may notice that the terms may not be canceling out numerator to denominator, so you may need to flip it. And just by doing that and following the process, you end up with the right answer. The only thing though is you need to know the conversion factors such as how to convert from milligrams to micrograms, from pounds to kilograms, those things you need to know so that it would facilitate your calculation. And we are going to look at those conversion of units in a subsequent video. This question says a medication order calls for 500 milliliters of dextrose 5W normal saline solution to be infused over 6 hours using an administration set that delivers 15 drops per milliliter. How many drops per minute should be delivered to the patient? So here the question is asking for drops per minute and so that's our wanted quantity. So we're going to have some value having units of drops per minute and that's going to be equal to the given quantity. Here the given quantity is going to be the 15 drops per milliliter because we need the drops in the numerator. So you're going to have 15 drops divided by milliliter and we're going to multiply this by the conversion factor for the given quantity which essentially is 500 milliliters infused by every 6 hours. So we're going to have 500 milliliters divided by 6 hours 
the milliliters in the denominator here can cancel the milliliters in the numerator here and if your tracking unit is going to be drops per hour but notice we need to be in drops per minute so we need to convert the hour term to minutes and we're going to use the conversion factor that one hour is 60 minutes so the hours can cancel out and now we're going to multiply all the terms in the numerator and divide it by all the terms in the denominator and that would imply that you have 15 drops times 500 times 1 divided by 6 times 60 minutes and now that's going to be equal to 20.8 drops per minute but notice that you can't really give 0.8 of a drop so in this instance you're going to round it up to 21 drops per minute thank you for listening to today's episode from rx calculations you can find all the episodes on our youtube channel youtube.com forward slash pharmaceutical calculations easy or as articles on our website at rxcalculations.com. If you have any questions on any pharmaceutical calculations topic, or you would like to suggest future topics, you can post them on our pharmaceutical calculations forum, website, or YouTube channel. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and enjoy life.